My name is Deb Stevenson, and I'm the scripture reader today. We're reading Exodus 32, verses 1 to 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off your gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of the calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be festival to the Lord. They rose early and the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They've been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen these people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should Egyptians say, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we continue our sermon series on Exodus. Today God 
is mad. To put it lightly, God is mad. And what set God off exactly? Well, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai communing with the Lord, all the rest of the Israelites, the former slaves of Egypt, are at the foot of the mountain waiting for Moses to return. You know, it's taking a really long time, like 40 days. So the people start getting restless, worrying that he's not coming back. And so then the crowd turns to Moses, turns to Moses' brother, Aaron, and says to him, make us some gods to worship, please. In response, Aaron gathers together their gold jewelry, the booty that they seized on their way out of Egypt, and he melts it down, smelting and smithing it into a golden calf, and uh, ta-da, he says, these are the gods, your gods, the ones that brought you out of Egypt. Then he builds an altar, declaring the next day would be a festival to the Lord. So they all wake up early and they get at it. The Hebrew word is usually translated revelry. Let's just say something like sex, drugs, and rock and roll is probably not too strong a term. In fact, might be too weak a term for what happens with the Israelites. Now, this is why God is so mad. Now, this is very clearly an idol. I mean, Moses is gone like 15 minutes, really, and the people are already making an idol, a graven image, an obvious breaking of the second of those Ten Commandments we keep singing about. I mean, God just, God just gave them, and then they're just breaking them. I mean, in the words of the great uh, Ron Burgundy, uh, boy, that escalated quickly. So God is mad, mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. On account of this idol and the ensuing chaos, she's going to wipe them off the map. She's going to blot them out and take Moses and just start right over, like with Noah and the flood. Now, why is this calf such a big deal? The great 11th century theologian Thomas Aquinas with the great hair there. I mean, it's great do. St. <laughs> Gary of Stevenson. No, sorry, this is Thomas Aquinas. Uh, uh, this whole episode gets at, Aquinas says that this whole episode gets at two different issues with idolatry. Two different issues. Now, the first is that idolatry might cause us to worship the wrong God. You know, the Israelites were on the edge of the desert uh, with a perilous, deadly journey ahead of them. So they turned back to the safety and security of what they already knew. They started worshiping images of the various gods of Egypt. This makes sense. If you're genuflecting to the god Ra, it's pretty safe to say that it's a short skip, hop, and jump to worshiping the real Ra. The first issue is that they have ended up worshiping the wrong God, rather than the God that set them free, they're worshiping the gods who enslaved them. They're just going back to slavery. That's the first danger, worshiping the wrong God. The second danger, Aquinas says, is worshiping the right God, worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. 
I mean, it's a little ambiguous, but it looks like Aaron intends the statue to represent the true gods. Aaron at one point says, here's the God that brought you out of Egypt. According to Aaron, this calf's supposed to be a striking portrait of Yahweh, the God that spoke in the burning bush. This is just, a, this is just an image of, of God. We just did him in, in bull form. We did this God in bull form. Now, how is this worshiping the right God but in the wrong way? Well, because God isn't like any object that there is. God is not a creature or an object that can be found in the heavens above or earth below or the sea beneath. The Westminster Catechism, you guys know the Westminster Catechism, right? You got it in your back pocket on a piece of paper. Presbyterians in here might, but uh, from about the 1700s says simply that God is spirit. God is spirit. God comes to the Israelites in a burning flame and voice. Problem with the calf is that the Israelites can project whatever they want on God. Any attempt to depict God is an attempt to control God, to recruit God for our own purposes and biases. The great Enlightenment philosopher Voltaire once quipped that God made man in his image and man was quick to return the favor. We can end up worshiping an idol without actually knowing it. Worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way. Now, how's this a problem? A look into our own recent history of our denomination will suffice. As many, as you may or may not know, the United Church of Canada, our denomination, among uh, several others, ran many residential schools for indigenous people on behalf of the Canadian government. Many children were removed from their families, many were abused, and some died due to illness and other terrible things. The United Church issued an apology to First Nations people in 1986 and put it like this, in our zeal to tell you of the good news of Jesus Christ, it says, in our zeal to tell you the good news, we were close to the value of your spirituality. We confused Western ways and culture with the depth and breadth and length and height of the gospel of Christ. We may not have assumed that God was literally like us, but we thought that God sure thought like us, that God's priorities were the same as the church's priorities, which were ultimately the same priorities of the Canadian government, that being Christian was the same as being Canadian. We confused the two. We made a little statue with our favorite precious metals, and this blinded us to the God-given preciousness of other people, and this effectively was an idol, our graven image, the right God worshipped in the wrong way. The right God worshipped in the wrong way. Now, of course it is easy for us to look back on previous generations and offer our judgments. It's super easy and super fun, isn't it? But this can be an idol, too. 
I mean, if our God perfectly aligns with our modern, enlightened, progressive politics, if our God is a shiny, precious, pure, and spotless version of ourselves, that God's probably an idol too. The writer Anne Lamott says that it's safe to say that your God is an idol if he hates all the same people you do. You know? Your God is an idol if he hates all the same people you do. Whether the object of our hatred, our loathing, judgment, or even just general disdain is conservatives or progressives or trans people or convoy truckers. I was waiting for hisses there too, by the way. If it's Muslims or atheists or evangelical Christians or today's particular danger Jews, it's safe to say it's not the true God that we are dealing with, but an idol. Scripture says that God's ways are still not our ways, and God's thoughts are still not our thoughts. Right God, wrong way. God gets so upset in our text because images of God are a life and death matter. Remember that phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? You know, and there are plenty of idols on that road built with the greatest intentions too. Right God, wrong worship, and there are deadly consequences. It's more than just Indiana Jones's little tiki thing, you know. Now, the thing about commandments is that they always have a double meaning. The great 16th century Reformed theologian John Calvin, another shout out to all the Presbyterians here, John Calvin once said that every negative commandment involves a positive obligation. Sarah already just said that. She said that do not steal inverts to God is generous. Right? For example, Martin Luther wrote in the positive of do not kill is to help our neighbor in all of his physical needs. I said last week that the positive of do not bear false witness against our neighbor is to speak truthfully and well of one's neighbor. Each has a positive obligation. I'm not sure, though, that there's such thing as a positive idol, is there? Like, don't worship these idols. Worship these ones instead, right? Not those graven images, but these graven images. I don't know if there's such thing as a positive idol. But, but there is, in fact, according to Scripture, an image to be worshipped. There is an image to be worshipped. And that image is Taylor Swift. Sorry, that was really bad. I kid. I kid. I kid. That image is Jesus Christ. The true image to be worshipped is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
He is the image of the invisible God. The image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In his life teachings, death and resurrection, the God who appeared in fire and word to Moses, this God has been properly rendered in the medium of human flesh. Not by human hands or by human hearts or by human heads, but by the hand of the Lord, the creator himself. And continues to be present to us in the word of scripture and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And the thing about Jesus is that he's unlike any other God we could dream up for ourselves. I mean, people say that Christianity is wishful thinking. I don't know if we wanted to invent God, we would make God like Jesus. On one hand, when we want power, he shows his power by giving it away. When we're out for blood, he sheds his own instead. When we assume our worthlessness, he proclaims our worthiness by dying for our sake. And on the other hand, when like the Israelites, when, like the Israelites, our sins are about to blow up in our faces, he's like Moses. He intercedes for his people, appealing to God's gracious mercy. Like Moses from the cross, Jesus calls out, forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them. Don't blot them out. When we're racked with guilt, he saves us from being blotted out, pronouncing forgiveness, full stop. That's what Jesus does. And when we're dead in our failures, presuming that all hope is lost, he raises us from the dead. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but Jesus is a challenge to every other image that we can conjure and every false image we construct. Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is what God is like, and this is an image that not only guards against getting God's wrong, but helps us by grace to get God right. To get God right. And the thing is, if we get God right, we'll get us right too. If we get God right, we'll get us right too, because we are made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1. You are made in the image of the invisible God. You. From the crack addict nodding off on the street corner to the richest investment banker out there, from the least pious to the Pope, all are made in the image of God. Without exception. Now, of course, we're not images to be worshipped like the calf, but we're made to reflect the nature of the one who made us. Our job isn't to make gods, but to the glorify the true God. Seeing the image of God in others and yielding our lives to the, to the creator to reflect God's goodness wisdom and love to become more like Jesus by letting God make and remake us in his image. That's the positive inversion of the second commandment, to worship Jesus, the image of the true God, and let ourselves be remade 
in his likeness. That's the positive inversion of making no idols. So friends, brothers and sisters, in Christ, the bad news is that we are highly unlikely, no, we are highly likely, sorry, we are highly likely to make and worship our own golden calves and the calves of others because we are highly likely to make God in our own image. The good news, though, is that we are given a true image of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, one we can't shape into our own likeness. You could say that God's Son is his own man. The Son of Man is his own man and refuses to be remade by us. In a world of false images, you have been given a true image of God, one you are made to reflect in your own life. So often we get God wrong, but by grace we can get God right. And if we get God right, we'll get us right too. And he'll remake us by that same grace. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Blow through the wind. 